0: Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small Your source for the latest hunting and fishing information Brought to you by LakeLink Your online fishing resource at lake-link.com
1: Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by the Castle Rock Well Lakes Association 60 square miles of fun on the water castlerock Well.com. And by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camelware at a price you can afford. Huntworthgear.com I'm Dan Small. Today we'll learn how solar-powered drone sailboats are helping with fish research in the Great Lakes. And we'll get a fishing report for the Castle Rock and Petonwell flowages. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, brought to you by Pappas Trading Post. Southern Wisconsin's largest Matthews & Mission archery retailer. They're located just west of Arena at the intersection of Highway 14 and County Highway H, and you can also find them online at pappastradingpost.com. You hear this feature each and every week at this time on WTSO, the Big 1070, and any time at all on our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Lake Link, iHeart Radio, and other platforms as well. And joining us once again is Pro angler Duffy Cup. Well Duffy, thanks for joining us and welcome back.
2: It's good to be with you Dan.
1: Now you've been fishing the Madison chain for a while now that you've back from you've come back from up north, right?
2: I've been uh, pretty much concentrating on uh, Monona, because I know things are they haven't quite cut real loose yet, but it's ready to cut loose because I think the coming week now, High temperatures only in the 60s or low 60s, things start cooling off quickly. And that's when you can start working those shallow weeds again and, and uh, have a better shot at putting a fish in the boat.
1: And by a fish, you're talking about muskies. Yes. And I understand you have seen a few?
2: Yeah, I was out late last week uh, with another guy. I was kind of guiding him. He's not a very experienced musky guy, but we, we had a good time. I didn't agree particularly with the lures that he was choosing to throw, but that was up to him. I was throwing the big western uh, spinnerbaits with the Indiana blade. One in the boat, and I had at least three other really good shots at fish uh, other than that, but wasn't quite able to hook them up long enough to get them in the boat. Uh
1: Uh-huh. And your friend, did he have any hookups or any follows?
2: No. No, I did give him a little bit of... Talking to at the end and it was all good natured and everything. But uh, he owes me he owes me breakfast now sometime.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and he sh- he should be taking your advice on what baits to throw. <laughs> in addition to muskies, what's going on on the chain?
2: On Mendota, I know guys are getting out either early or late. You know, and fish until after the sun goes down. And having some success on the walleyes, there are a lot of walleyes on Lake Mendota, and bluegills, and big bluegills. Now, Mendota's kind of known for the big bluegills. The only thing I I think I like to pass along to people is if, you know, if you catch a 10-inch bluegill, this is just my opinion, Uh, I'm hoping that you let it go. Keep the ones that are smaller than that if you're going to take a bunch home to eat, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we want to keep that genetic pool up at a, at a high rate, we've got to feed those big fish back into the water.
1: They're not very common, are they?
2: No, they're not. But uh, I know I talked to a couple of guys, and of course they showed me the pictures on the bump board and the whole thing, and they're catching some pretty darn good-sized fish. Wow. That's a possibility. I, I'm guessing that most of the time those big gills are not going to be a whole bunch of them in a, in a small space. You're going to have to find out, well, what's that space like? You know, how deep is it? Where are the weeds? Where's the drop-off, the whole thing? And find other places on the lake that replicate that if you want to find some more fish. That's just the way that goes. There's nothing easy when you get into that. If you can fish for four hours and not move and catch a whole bunch of 10-inch bluegills, uh, I would appreciate a call.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so they're either not that gregarious like perch. If you run into a school of big perch, you're going to catch big perch. If you catch a few small ones, you know, move around a little bit, you'll find the bigger ones because they seem to school by size. Bluegills do that too, don't they, but maybe not well, as much?
2: they, they do it to a certain extent, but it's, it's usually more... More the depth that they're at, I, I don't know if schooling is the right. I mean, you might find five or six in an area, but then after that, you're going to be catching six and a half and seven inches. And the guys that are fishing for them are fishing anywhere from twelve to forty feet of water. And again, you go down to Manona, they're still suspended out there. Yeah, and you just got to be able to drive over them with your electronics and find out where they are, and especially if you have the correct wind, just drift over there and it's it's pretty easy to catch them at that point
1: uh-huh how about the bass action is there much going on
2: bass uh have been very very active and again they're relating to the weeds right now when that cold front comes in they they should really start gobbling things up again people think well once that water starts cooling off and you know they put on the feed bag right and then i don't particularly agree with that uh what happens is is those smaller fish that they feed on end up being bunched up whether it be in the weeds or over a rock pile or whatever it might be and with the uh muskie or a big pike or even a big bass they're opportunistic feeders so if you just got done eating at McDonald's but somebody waves another quarter pounder and of your face you just may take a bite again (laughs) you might (laughs) (laughs) that's just the way it is i mean mother nature has programmed them to do two things that's to to eat so they can survive and to reproduce
1: yeah and to avoid having somebody else eat you of course Uh, well
2: yeah
1: yeah and now this weekend is the big pit tag tournament for you musky guys isn't it
2: Yes, interesting process. I don't know if there's any place else I've never heard of that, that has a tournament, small tournament run like this, where we have had, God, since 2005, I think, cooperated with the DNR in a scientific study of growth rates of uh, Leech Lake strain fish and Wisconsin strain fish and the whole thing and all the complications that go with that. But this it's going to kill two birds with one stone. We have fun and we have a tournament. And every fish that's caught, you either have to have a scanner in your boat, or you make a quick phone call. And we've got boats going around with scanners in them. They scan it, get the number off of that. You've got to measure it. You take the girth and the whole thing and get that. Then get that data to the the DNR so that they can continue. Uh, making decisions based on that data. So, I go there to have fun and everything, but it's nice if we can uh, give the DNR, you know, more scientific fact in order for them to make a good decision on
1: So, they're determining which strain to stock and how many, right?
2: Yes. If you look at how they do that, I think this year they're going to be a little bit shorter, but uh, you're usually, each fish that we're putting into the lake is 12 to 14 inches long and... Uh, I'd say I don't know for a fact, but that's got to be at least two years' growth, if not more. Yep. Those are expensive fish to put in there because, of course, muskies do not really reproduce naturally in the Madison Lake, so that's really the only source of fish to keep things going, and it's expensive. We want to be able to put the money in the right place for the consumer, which are the fishermen, and the bulk of the money that our club What's into that comes from the muskie school, the money that we make off the muskie school and the fundraiser that we have in April.
1: Yep. Well, that's this weekend. And then coming up in October, you've got the big money tournament, right? The fall muskie tournament.
2: Capital City Muskies putting on a money tournament. First place is a sizable amount of money. If they get a full number of boats and everything in there, I think they award money to at least the first three places. It's really good for guys that are a little bit more of a diehard, and it's well-run, it's well-organized. Brian does a real good job putting that thing on. It can be a feast or famine, you know, especially that time of the year. They've had a couple of years where the weather has been terrible and 30-mile-an-hour winds and the whole thing. So hopefully this year they'll have one that will really go And You do not have to be a member of the club. And for the pit Tag Tournament and for the Money Tournament, You just have to go to CapitalCityMuskiesInc.org, and you can get the details right off that website.
1: All right. Well, Duffy, we're going to let you go. Good luck in the pit Tag Tournament, and we'll probably talk to you again before the fall uh, big tournament. But if not, good luck to you, and thanks for the report.
2: Very good. Thanks, Dan. Bye.
1: You bet. Duffy Cup with the Madison Outdoors Report. Brought to you by Pappas Trading Post. They are located on Highway 14, just west of Arena, and online at PappasTradingPost.com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupie and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal, year after year. The firm of Hupie & Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupie & Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit Huppie.com. And all 11 offices of Hupie & Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business, and in fact... In addition to their efforts on behalf of their 70,000 clients who might have been injured in motor vehicle accidents, the firm of UP & Abraham has paid thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes in the Milwaukee area. Mike UP is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, and he has just announced that he will pay a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip... On an unsolved homicide case, visit milwaukeecrimestoppers.com or call 414-224-TIPS. And you can find that phone number at milwaukeecrimestoppers.com if you didn't write it down. Well, joining me this week from home, once again, in Wisconsin Rapids, Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, you're back from Cass Lake, and you've got a few days off.
3: Yeah, yeah, a little bit of time before our final tournament of the year. Pretty excited to... uh you know, I'm excited to always start the season and then I'm excited to, for the season to wind down, you know? But, uh, yeah, down at Cass Lake or up at Cass Lake rather from, from my vantage point, uh, we went to, uh, um, that's kind of our traditional stop for the Masters Walleye Circuit for the final regular season event. And, uh, we had a good time up there, Dan. There's just, it's beautiful scenery. It's uh, a wonderful place. Stony Point Resort, which is where we stayed is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, just, uh, an incredible place to stay. It's very cool with the old canals that were cut in long before the DNR started, you know, regulating things like that. Uh, but uh, there's uh, great walleye fishing right now. And the winners, Sean Coulter and Dave Harnessman, brought 37 pounds and 15 ounces to the scale. And that's five fish each day, two days, uh, with only one fish over 20 inches per angler, so two per team each day. And and what's wow. incredible about that is that when you look at the previous tournament, was Lake Oahu, and guys were handing in 11-pound fish out there, okay? Mm-hmm. They only weighed 40 pounds in two days out on Lake Oahu. These guys weighed 37 on Cass Lake. I mean, just this northern Minnesota lake—you you wouldn't be able to pick it out from a map if you were just <laughs> looking for it. But there are yeah. some giant fish out there.
1: Well, it sounds like a great fishery. Fantastic. It is, uh,
3: you know, great for perch. We went out and did some perch fishing and took home a, a you know a, a mess of them and sent some of the the folks from down in Oklahoma home with a real good fish fry.
1: Nice, nice, and you have one more tournament, where's that?
3: World Walleye Championship, that's in Oconto, so not too far away from home, uh, here in Wisconsin Rapids, and uh, we've got uh, 40 teams battling it out for well over $120,000 in cash and prizes. Everyone who participates in the championship and fishes all three days will go home with something, and uh, it will be uh, a lot of fun to see who uh, what team uh, brings home the world walleye championship this season? Great. Well, it's
1: a it's a wonderful way to work up uh, a wonderful way to wrap up a season of work, mm-hmm. I guess, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I am out of town, as you know, and listeners uh, are learning now. I'm down in Missouri for the annual Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers Conference in Branson, and Branson, for folks who've never been here, is sort of, is kind of delves with music, is what <laughs> the way I describe it. Uh, they've got a lot of the touristy-type attractions that Wisconsin Dells has to offer, uh, water parks, uh, boardwalk, um, boat rides on Lake Tanikomo, which is a flowage, really, of the White River, as is Table Rock Lake. Mm -hmm. Como was created in 1913 by a dam and then Table Rock in 1958. And when Table Rock was created, the warm water fishery in Como suddenly became a cold water fishery or opportunity for it. And it is a fantastic trout fishery. So Mm -hmm. I've been trout fishing here a couple times and caught nothing big although I did see one fellow uh, of our group caught a 31-inch brown, which is a heck of a nice fish anywhere. And that fish, I guess, was spawning. He caught it on, a, I think it was a, some kind of jerk bait. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but I was fly fishing and doing a, a kind of uh, slip bobber-type fishing with um, Berkeley bubblegum power worms. That's <laughs> what they like they're fishing a stretch of the river um, up closer to the dam and uh, fly fishing in the afternoon. It was 96 degrees here, Jeff. Oof, um, you th- can keep that's that. That's changing. They, they, yeah, they said that this is like the end of the warm weather, and, and we just hit it right on the money. It was 90-plus driving down, and I, I did the 11-hour drive in one day, and I'm doing it in one
3: day going back. Well, there'll it's be some cooler diff- weather for you on your way back.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. It's not difficult driving, uh, and, and you know I have not been traveling much outside of Wisconsin. I'm not not like you. You've been all over mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the country really now this summer and and last I think. But this was really my first long trip out of Wisconsin, and I had two thoughts. Uh, one is, uh, boy, it's a big country.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and i only went from you know wisconsin to southern missouri almost arkansas and it's a beautiful country my goodness mm-hmm. uh, folks ought to get out and explore it a little more it's been it's been a while
4: That's so um,
1: yeah well later in the show we'll announce the winner of our giveaway prize a summer sausage variety kit from high mountain seasoning it contains ingredients for making 45 pounds of sausage and three different varieties, and we'll tell you who won that later in the show. Coming up, Dr. Peter Esselman of the U.S. Geological Survey tells us how his team of researchers is using sail drones, yeah, unmanned sailboats, to help with their research on fish populations in the Great Lakes. You might have seen one uh, cruising along with nobody in it, Um, and we'll hear all about that. But we'll kick things off with a fishing report for Castle Rock and Petenwell Floages from Joe Stuklak. all that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio
5: For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society the well-being of the ruffed grouse and american woodcock is a special priority but the society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds the organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife including songbirds that must have thick brushy habitat to survive For more information about Forest Wildlife Habitat Management, contact the Rough Ground Society toll-free at
3: 888-JOIN-RGS. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online At RemyBattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at
1: the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews & Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com.
0: Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information, Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
1: Welcome back to Outdoors Radio, I'm Dan Small. The Castle Rock Well Lakes Association offers four-season outdoor recreation on two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes and many miles of river, hiking and biking trails and much more. You can check them out online at castlerock peatonwellcom And joining us now for a fishing report is a fellow we've had on before, but it's been a while, Joe Stuklak. He's the proprietor of the Bighorn Store on Adams County Z, and you probably are familiar with that location if you've been on Peatonwell or Castle Rock. It's near the turnoff to Petonwell County Park on Bighorn Drive. That's on the east shore of the Peatonwell Flowage. Thanks so much for joining us. How has the fishing been on Peaton Well?
6: The fishing is starting to pick up. Water temperatures are beginning to drop. We're down below 70 degrees now in that 66, 67 region. And um, things are starting to pick up. There's a lot of smaller walleye being currently caught. Deep water edges is where they're at. Crappies are making their way up into the river. And um, shallow water trees, guys with jigs and minnows, are doing real well on them. On the south end of the lake, near the south dike, believe it or not, they're getting some real nice bluegill, 10 to 14 feet of water in the trees.
1: And what are people getting the gills on?
6: Gills are just a piece of crawler on an 8-ounce jig.
1: Nice. And trolling for walleyes? Guys just...
6: are trolling. Some guys are jigging. But right now, the live bait, I'm selling a lot more live bait than I was three weeks ago. That's the reason guys are jigging.
1: Uh-huh. What have you got at your store? Now, this is a convenience store not just a bait shop, right?
6: We consider ourselves a bait shop with convenience store items. Okay. Um, I have a full array of walleye tackle, terminal tackle, catfish items, rods, reels. I sell St. Croix rods, Fox River rods. I sell Yogi rods, which is a local manufacturer, custom rod maker in, from Austin, might take. We also have beer, full selection of beer, wine, and liquor, snacks, some grocery items, camping items. We do LP exchange. We have gasoline, including 91 um, octane, which is ethanol free, which everybody runs in their motor, boat motors and ATVs. And then I usually have at least a, six or seven choices of minnows and, you know, crawlers, redworms, waxworms in season.
1: You must do a lot of business with the folks who camp at Pettenwell Park.
6: Oh, yeah. Campers are, you know, obviously this time of year it slows down, but the campers keep us very busy throughout the summer.
1: And what are your hours there?
6: We're open 6 to 6, Monday through Saturday, and 6 to 5 on Sunday.
1: Okay. Well, now, Pettenwell is north of Castle Rock. How are things on Castle Rock this year?
6: has been good as well that little yellow river buckhorn bridge area is always a good spot Um, walleyes white bass crappies the dirty turtle area there um is always good for crappies i would say the crappie fishing on castle rock is probably a click better than on people okay but one thing that i did forget to mention is the perch are really making a comeback on both of these
1: lakes Okay.
6: They're here, catches of fifteen, twenty fish at ten to twelve inch fish. So, them are nice.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. And where are folks getting those?
6: Deeper trees, standing timber in ten to fourteen feet of water.
1: Okay, along and the, the worm. along the old river channel. Yeah. Okay. And how about the river itself, uh, below the dams and wherever else people can access it?
6: You know, this year it's been kind of a struggle because of low water flows.
4: Mm.
6: we've had some of the lowest flows this year that that i've seen in 10 years so you know it's always tough but when you're in that moving water there, there there's always good musky action you know there's local fish that hang out there most of the time the walleyes and pike move farther down into the deeper waterfalls but it's all uh you know it's all relevant to water flow.
1: yeah now, i have fished below the castle rock dam when you were at that bait shop uh several times and uh we raised a number of muskies. I haven't caught one yet. I haven't been there now in a couple of years. But I I know guys who do very well there, or who have done very well there, right below the dam. Joe, you do a regular fishing report on WRJC, one of our radio stations, don't you?
6: Yes, once a week I do um, an outdoor report. Wisconsin River fishing conditions, you know, local hunting stuff. Just anything that's going on in the outdoors, whether we're seeing young turkeys hatching or fawns or... Local wood duck yeah. population. and when does, that, a little bit of everything. when
1: does that report air?
6: I put it in on um, Wednesday mornings. It starts running in the weekend on Thursdays, I believe, at 6 o'clock, and then it'll run through the weekend through Sunday.
1: Oh, okay. Now, you mentioned hunting. I understand you've been bear hunting. Have you seen anything?
6: I haven't seen anything with the store. I'm kind of limited in time to afternoons and hit and miss, but the bears are there. It's just I'm not in the right place at the right time because we're getting we've got trail cameras on all the baits. I left the other night at seven. Legal shooting time was 7:25. I left at 7:25 and the bear was there at 7:45. So
4: <laughs> he
6: was right behind me. I'm hoping that this cold front coming through this week is going to make a difference on the uh, activity and see him be a little less nocturnal and moving around a little more during the day.
1: Yeah, he was probably waiting for you to leave the woods and come in and hit your bait.
6: He probably knew I was there. But yeah. No, yeah. We got, we still got quite a few active baits going too, so hmm. we've got a little bit of time. It is what it is. It's, yep. It's hunting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned turkeys. Are you seeing many broods?
6: I drive the back roads of Necedah Wildlife Refuge, Meadow Valley. Yeah. Wildlife area a lot, and it is just loaded with turkeys and young ones. There's just broods and broods. The thing that concerns me a lot is there's a lot of small ones. Uh-huh. A lot of them turkeys of the year are only the size of grouse. And we're coming into a pretty tough time of year here in another month or two. But there's still plenty of fair size, plenty of birds that are just smaller than an adult. I'm seeing a lot of what I'm thinking is second broods. The first, sure. first clutch of eggs got washed out or something. And then they renested and, you know, hopefully we have light winter with not real heavy snow, and dumb birds should be able to make it through.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, we'll let you get back to your customers there, and we appreciate the report, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime.
6: All right.
5: Thank you. you have a great day.
1: You bet. You too. Joe Stucklack is proprietor of the Bighorn Store on Adams County Z. It's on Bighorn Drive, right near the turnoff to Petenwell County Park on the east shore of the flowage. And this is brought to you by Castle Rock Pete and Well Lakes Association. You can find them at castlerock petenwellcom I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this.
0: Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
1: Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. If you spent much time on one of our Great Lakes this summer, you just might have seen a small boat painted bright orange and without a pilot or passenger cruising along. That wasn't a ghost chip, it was a sail drone. It's helping conduct research on fish populations on lakes Michigan and Superior. And joining us to talk about these sail drones and what they're up to and how they fit in with fisheries research is Dr. Peter Esselman. He's a research fishery biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey, based out of the USGS Great Lakes Science Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's also the primary investigator for a three-year study of fish populations and distribution in the Great Lakes using unmanned sailing vessels and underwater autonomous vehicles. Peter, thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network.
4: Thank you so much, Dan. I'm happy to be here.
1: Now, I understand this is a three-year study, and you are pretty much wrapped up with year two of the data gathering. Is that true? Yes, that's correct. Now, our listeners are familiar with Great Lakes fisheries in general, but maybe not so familiar with how your research might help fish managers and decision makers. Can you give us some background on that?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's clear to everyone who lives in the region and and many of your listeners that the Great Lakes have tremendous importance culturally, but they're also an economic engine and and fisheries play a large role in that. Every year, 75,000 jobs are supported by fisheries and the Great Lakes Fishery Commission has estimated the value of the fishery at $7 billion annually. The fishery is actively managed by the states, the tribes, and the province of Ontario who come together under An umbrella organization called the Great Lakes Council of Lake Committees, and the lake committees on each lake make decisions about quotas, seasons, catch limits, size limits, and they use data to support their decision-making process. And so U.S. Geological Survey, despite our name being focused on geology, is actually also a biology organization. And we conduct annual surveys on each of the five Great Lakes using large research vessels, and we've been doing that for almost 50 years on most of the lakes. So the quality of the data that we provide on the abundance of prey fishes, these are the bait fishes that that are supporting economically important predators, is used by the Council of Lake Committees to support their decision making. And if our data are are somewhat inaccurate or imprecise, then it can have downstream effects on the quality of decision making. And so we're using these uncrewed surface vehicles and autonomous underwater vehicles because they can give us a much better picture of the accuracy of our conventional surveys that we've been running for almost 50 years and therefore help improve the quality of data and, therefore, the decisions that can be made from those data by the lake managers.
1: Tell us about these boats and how they work. They're unmanned, so obviously they're powered by something and controlled somewhere by somebody, right?
4: That's right. So we're talking about two different technologies. One of them is called SailDrone. SailDrone is a corporation out of California that has developed a very effective, long-range, remotely helmed sailboat. There's 24-7 observation of the positions of those boats, which communicate with several base stations around the world via satellite uplink, and they also receive instructions from uh, remote captains, essentially. They also have a fair amount of sort of autonomy built into them. So the controllers might give them a latitude and longitude to sail toward and a corridor width to sail within, and Sail Drone has worked out the onboard control systems to make that happen. So it's wind-powered. It has a rigid sail. The sail's about 15 feet high. The boat's about 23 feet long. It also carries solar panels. It carries a bunch of weather sensors and meteorological sensors above the water. And then in the water, it has a water quality sensor. And for us, the business end of the vehicle is the down-looking fisheries echo sounders, which give us fish abundance and distribution within the cone of sound that shoots out of the echo sounder. It's basically a powerful fish finder. There's one other technology which is an autonomous underwater vehicle, we call it an AUV, and it's carrying fisheries echo sounders as well, but rather than deploying them from the surface, from a boat, it's a underwater vehicle that has up-looking and down-looking echo sounders, and we can position that at any point in the water column we want. We've been flying it at 50 meters or in shallow water areas closer to 20 meters and trying to get a a handle on how many fish are distributed near the water surface.
1: Now, these two boats are also followed by one of your diesel-powered research vessels, correct?
4: That's correct. So, So the two different science questions we're trying to answer with these Uh, In the case of the sail drone, we're trying to answer the question, does the noise that comes from the engines of our crude research vessels, these are diesel-powered vessels, does that noise scare fish away, therefore reducing the abundance that we're uh, able to measure in the water? The other technology, the autonomous underwater vehicle, we're answering the question, what portion of fish abundance do the large vessels miss at the water surface And the reason we would miss fish at the surface is because the draft of the vessels that we use tends to be between 12 and 15 feet, and the echo sounders are deployed below that. And so in the first 15 feet of the water, we really don't have any handle on, on fish that are distributed there. In other words, we can't count those fish. And so between those two technologies, we should be able to get a good handle on how accurate our conventional methods are, And at the same time, we're evaluating methods that might be useful to us in the future.
1: So these boats are actually playing follow the leader. The sail drone and the underwater vessel are leading the way, and then your diesel research vessel is right behind them? How far behind?
4: For the sail drone specifically, we're really trying to get data in the same water on the same night with the same type of echo sounder. So the sail drone will depart on its course which is a predefined route, at twilight. And then we give it 2,000 meters lead times, basically a mile and a half. We'll let it get ahead of us. And then the vessel will will overtake it along the same course and then sort of peel off and let it then advance again. And usually when we peel off, what I mean by that is we're deviating from the course by about 2,000 meters. We'll usually take a trawl sample so that we can actually see what fish are physically present there and count them and get their size, and then we'll get back on track, follow the sail drone again, and we're doing these repetitive overtakes. And it's not just the USGS vessel, which is called the RV Kai out of Ashland, Wisconsin, but we're also working with a vessel from the Fish and Wildlife Service, a vessel from the Grand Portage Band of Chippewa Indians, and from the Red Cliff Band, and then also vessels from the states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and then the province of Ontario. So by getting overtakes with lots of different vessels, we'll be able to assess our question, how much bias does noise from our vessels cause, across the whole Great Lakes fleet rather than just for the USGS vessels specifically.
1: So this work is done at night in in all cases?
4: Yeah, that's right. So the reason we work at night is because the fish come off the bottom at night. And when you're using echo sounders to count fish, you know, you essentially have their bodies have to be separate from the lake bed Otherwise, we can't really detect them because the lake bed has such a strong acoustic signature.
1: And what species are you looking for or are you recognizing?
4: The sounders, you know, like anyone who's used a fish finder, you can't necessarily know for sure what the species is. That's why we use midwater trawling. We pull nets and catch fish physically to know what species are present. However, we know from our past surveys that the nearshore community of fishes is dominated by rainbow smell, cisco, which is also called lake herring, bloater, which is also known locally as chubs, kai uh, lake whitefish, and lake trout. So those are species that we encounter frequently in our surveys. And then, you know, as we go offshore, the community tends to be dominated by bloater and kai. This year, interestingly, we've seen a bumper crop or a bumper sort of year class of cisco. It seems to have been a very good year for cisco reproduction, and we've seen a lot of young fish, young of year fish in the upper water column. And so it will be interesting to see how noise affects those fish and also to use the uplooking echo sounders to count them.
1: Uh, Peter, we've got to take a little break here. Will you stay with us? And uh, I've got a lot more questions to ask you. Uh, We'll continue this after a couple of minutes. Will that work? Yes, sir. All right. I'm talking with Dr. Peter Esselman about these independent unmanned research vessels and how they are helping track fish species and what their abundance happens to be in the Great Lakes. Uh, I'm Dan Small. We'll be right back after this. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews & Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com.
3: Get outside and let us be your guide Florence County, Wisconsin
1: Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle seven wild river waterfalls to hike to horse trails with campgrounds and friendly bars and restaurants Go to the exploreflorencecounty.com lodging, dining and recreation tabs to plan
3: your trip Castle Rock and Petonwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Neceda National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock petenwellcom or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petonwell Lakes Association. Welcome back to your source for the
0: latest hunting and fishing information, Outdoors Radio with Dan Swan.
1: Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with Dr. Peter Esselman. He's a research fishery biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey in Michigan, and he is the primary investigator for a three-year study of fish populations and distribution in the Great Lakes using unmanned sailing vessels and autonomous underwater vehicles, sail drones, and uh, I guess you call it AUV. I like that. Uh, it's kind of like I drive a UTV once in a while. Now you, you operate or somebody operates on your behalf an AUV. Peter, these vehicles are operated somewhere on the west coast, right? You don't control them yourselves.
4: We contract with the Sail Drone Corporation and they basically handle the deployment the operation and the recovery in consultation with us. And we help with coordination with the local Coast Guard and the Canadian Coast Guard for that matter. And we also suggest routes to them to maximize our science capability. They're essentially controlled and managed by a private company and we pay them on a daily basis to collect the data.
1: So when they go out each evening, is that an all-night thing or a few hours? How does that work?
4: They're very persistent. The sail drone has set... The Trans-Pacific crossing record, and they essentially can stay out for months at a time. Um, in the Great Lakes, we could put them out as soon as ice is off in the spring and, and take them out when ice is, when it's about to ice up. They have that much capability. They can run all night, and really, their progress depends on the wind, the wind speed and the wind direction. And because we're also trying to do follow-the-leader surveys with our vessels, there's sort of a sweet spot for the wind somewhere between 10 and 14 miles an hour where we have enough wind for the sail drone to progress nicely on the surface but not too much wind that it creates safety or uh, data degradation for the crude vessels that are out there following the sail drone.
1: So you do watch the weather Um, they can handle extreme weather if it happens?
4: Absolutely. In fact, SailDrone is the only company that's been able to put an autonomous vehicle in the middle of a Category 4 hurricane with a vehicle that they had engineered with slightly shortened sail. And, yeah, they they don't tip over, and they are very uh, stable. They've been deployed all over the world. And at the base station, the SailDrone's monitoring the Great Lakes vehicles. They have also been monitoring vehicles out in oceans around the world. But these are the first large lake deployments in association with this study.
1: You mentioned that they're wind driven, but they have solar panels. Now there's no sun at night in this latitude, so what are the panels doing?
4: The panels are harvesting data and sending, I'm sorry, they're harvesting power and sending it to batteries during the day. And the power is used to essentially keep the sensors going overnight. And so if we encounter a long period of no sunlight, sometimes SailDrone would recommend powering down certain sensors to preserve their power and keep other sensors going. So, yeah, the solar panels are really just charging batteries to keep all the sensor packages going.
1: Okay, okay. Now, we were talking about fish species that you were gathering information on before we took the break, and you mentioned one I had not heard of, and it's the name of your research vessel, the uh, Kaii, is it?
4: That's correct. Kaii is part of a group of fishes called the ciscos. You know, there's the native cisco that we call Lake Herring is part of that group. Lake Whitefish is part of that group, and there's a few other species, uh, including bloater or chubs. Kayai is a deep-water cisco. Historically, it was native to uh, all of the Great Lakes except for Erie, which is a bit too shallow for it. But now Kai has been extirpated in the lower four lakes and now exists with healthy populations only in Lake Superior. So these are planktivorous fish. They eat zooplankton. And they are sort of an important link in the food web at at taking the energy that's present in the plankton community and transferring that up to large predators like lake trout.
1: Now, you're doing research on prey species, and the numbers that you come up with are used somehow in management and decision-making. Tell us how your research interfaces with management decisions.
4: As a scientist and not a manager, I can only observe from the outside, but I can give you an example. Each year on Lake Michigan, we are out with our vessels collecting data about the prey fish communities, which include alewife in Lake Michigan. And, of course, alewife is an important food for Chinook salmon and coho salmon, particularly Chinook, which is the most valuable sports fishery in Lake Michigan. There's a committee of managers and scientists who uh, are essentially responsible for setting targets for catch limits and size limits for salmon. And they're also another group that works alongside them who's responsible for setting quotas for lake trout stocking, which is another predator that might compete with salmon for some of those alewives. Our numbers are used to inform the decisions about how to stock uh, and also how to manage salmon. Not so much where there's a direct like, okay, here's what USGS says, this is what we're going to set. But rather they're used in a set of food web models that relate the availability of prey to the amount of predators that the system can support. And so in ecosystem science, there's a rule that the predators can occur at 10%, of the prey base that is available to them to eat. And so those sort of rules propagate into management with a slightly more complication where they use statistical models to support their decision-making.
1: Uh, some fishermen and maybe other casual observers think that managers pull some of these numbers out of the air or other places, and, uh, and that's not the case. I don't know if you've heard this, you probably have, but both Wisconsin and Michigan are proposing a significant increase in Chinook stocking for next year, and your research is now two-thirds of the way done with data gathering, you will have some information that they might find very helpful, if not critical, in another year or two.
4: Yeah, I think it's important to draw a distinction. The decisions that are being made about management, aren't happening instantaneously. There's, there's periods of consideration. They're very deliberate because there's such an economic and social impact to those decisions. What I would say is that to the extent that USGS's information about the availability of prey for species like Chinook, to the availability that USGS's information is accurate, that will certainly have benefits to the decisions that are made. And so, for instance, summer alewives are distributed near the water surface oftentimes. And our uplooking sonar that we're deploying from the AUVs will help to answer questions about the accuracy of our summer estimates of alewife. And so it's quite possible that the data we are collecting will lead to refined estimates of abundances of important prey fish species like alewife. And it's up to the managers, ultimately. We provide them with the data, but... Having a a tighter and more accurate estimate of prey fish should lead to better decisions downstream.
1: I would hope so, yeah. Now, you mentioned in the first segment, and you kind of referred to it now, that one of the reasons you're using the underwater upward-looking sonar is that diesel-powered or even uh, gas-powered vehicles or any vehicle— Uh, On the surface, we'll scatter fish. Anglers know that. That's one reason that people put planer boards out to catch the fish that swim away from your boat, and they're out there, and they see the bait, and they grab it. Have you learned anything, or is it too early to say, just how significant the impact of scattering fish by a motor-powered boat might be?
4: We're currently in the process of digesting the data we collected last summer on Lake Michigan and Huron, uh, we have a publication in preparation for that and we can't talk about it till it's peer reviewed. This is the first summer that we're using the uplooking echo sounders. So the data we're looking at from last summer are from the sail drone. And so this summer, the data we're seeing from the uplooking echo centers from the AUV, are. this is the first time we're seeing those. So I think that, you know, it would be late winter before we're in a position to sort of share results from our study. And, you know, we're very much pushing hard to get the results out because we know they have quite a potential impact and are of quite a interest both to the managers and the public.
1: Do you get to fish yourself or are you interested in fishing?
4: I am very busy, but I do get to fish occasionally. Usually I'll go out of western Michigan, out of Grand Haven for Chinook and lake trout. And of course, every year we're pulling nets in the water and I get to you know, handle thousands of fish every year. I enjoy being the Great Lakes fish community and I'm particularly excited when we, we encounter big predators. And it's always fun to go on gill net cruises where we're actually targeting lake trout population status and trends. Uh, because you really get to handle some monsters when you're out there on those surveys.
1: Absolutely. And the lake trout, now that's another story that we don't have time for here, but the lake trout recovery in Lake Michigan has been pretty spectacular, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, that's the word that my colleagues are sharing. It's not a topic I've specifically focused on in my research, but uh, it's encouraging for lake trout enthusiasts.
1: Well, Peter, we've got to let you go, but this has been a fascinating conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and I I think our listeners, um, I hope they've learned something, and I hope they see that there's a lot of work and a lot of study that goes on under the water, literally, and behind the scenes before decisions on stocking and quotas and uh, commercial fishing interests versus sport fishing interests before those decisions are made. So thanks so much for sharing all that with us.
4: Thank you, Dan. It's been my pleasure.
1: Peter Esselman, Dr. Peter Esselman, research fishery biologist with USGS in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this.
3: Castle Rock and Petonwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Neceda National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock pedenwellcom or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petonwell Lakes Association. Get outside and let us be your guide. Florence County, Wisconsin.
1: Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the exploreflorencecounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. If your rifle, shotgun, handgun, or muzzleloader needs work this season, call Roger Williams at Northern Magnetic, LLC. A licensed professional gunsmith for over 35 years, Roger can repair, customize, rebarrel, install sights and scope mounts, and more on all firearms makes and models. When you need a professional gunsmith, call Roger at 262-339-1798 or visit FixGuns.com. That's 262-339-1798 or FixGuns.com.
3: The Midwest's largest fishing website, lake-link.com, is your online fishing resource. 90% of Lake Link's features are yours to use free of charge, and members get access to Lake Link's online lake map library, lets you get GPS coordinates of any spot on the lake, and export waypoints to your onboard electronics. Members also get free outdoor classified ads, discounts on online store merchandise, and a whole lot more. You can also listen to Outdoors Radio 24-7 on Lake Link. Listen to this week's show... Catch any of our past shows, subscribe to our podcast, or even sign up for our weekly e-newsletter so you'll know in advance what's coming up right here. Just type in the keyword radio. See what you've been missing. Log on to lake-link.com today. That's lake-link.com.
0: Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
3: Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. they got great deals on new and used boats, including special pricing on pontoons. So check out their website or Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Castle Rock and Petenwell and Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water, castlerock-petenwell.com, and by Huntworth Gear, high-tech Camelware wear at a price you can afford, huntworthgear.com.
1: And don't forget, if you live in the West Bend area or anywhere near West Bend and you need a place to store your boat, you can do it right there at Cedar Lake Sales. Indoor and outdoor storage available. Well, if you missed our TV show, or if it doesn't happen to be airing in your area now, you can watch past episodes of Outdoor Wisconsin online at milwaukeepbs.org and the Deer Hunt Wisconsin show from last year and a few years um, just before that. Are available on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin YouTube channel.
3: Our radio show is online all the time. You can download it and take it with you. Listen at your leisure. Go to lake-link.com. Go to the outdoor radio page and you can download this show, past shows, and and uh, take us with you as you go along your week. You can find Dan on social media as well at Dan Small Outdoors. Find me at Hardwater Jeff.
1: Well, it's time to announce the winner of our High Mountain Seasoning Sausage Variety Pack giveaway, and the winner is going to have a summer sausage variety kit from High Mountain Seasoning. It's a great kit. I've been seeing all their products here at the Aglow Conference in Branson, and this is the newest uh, thing available from them, so... Without further ado, the winner is Francis Dalkey. Francis, we will be putting you in touch with the High Mountain Seasoning folks, and you'll be getting a package in the mail. Well, coming up, some calendar items. Today, of course, is National Hunting and Fishing Day. If you're listening to us on Saturday, the 50th anniversary of National Hunting and Fishing Day. It's also National Public Lands Day. I think... They tagged that onto National Hunting and Fishing Day a couple of years ago, Jeff. I don't Mm -hmm. remember when that happened, but uh, Mm -hmm. that is um, also a, a day of celebration, and you can look for events all around the country. There are a number of them in Wisconsin, including the first annual Jordan Buck Festival in Danbury, where Jim Jordan shot what became the world record typical whitetail, and it's the second... Uh, annual Clam Lake Elk Festival. So if you're up north and looking for something to do, check out one of those events. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. And by the way, Warren and his band, Anglin Wayne and the Trollers, will be performing at Brad Bowen's 6th Annual Muskie Ball. And that's in to Tony, Wisconsin speed. on November 5th. I'm Dan Small, here oh, with oh, Jeff Kelly. Oh, get outside this shore. weekend and be sure uh-huh. to join us again next week more Outdoors Radio.
0: When the cool night swallows, the moose's nose,
3: and the heron is fishing,
0: on one cold leg, when the loon cries lover, in the blue north wind, I'll be trolled My wrist gets a little chilly on the gunnel when my
3: lazy Ike is just too lazy to lure when the worms go
0: dry in the coffee can honey I'll be trolling.